0: For anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Pastor Roger. I want to welcome all of our listeners online and, of course, definitely in person. Glad you're here at church this morning. Welcome. And uh, I want to say Happy New Year. I haven't uh, been able to say that to you, and so I hope it's not too late for me to say Happy New Year to you all. I'm going to be finishing up uh, our series Beyond the 52, Church Outside of Sunday Mornings. And as a brief overview of the past three weeks, um, I, I want to share this. Pastor Eric, he opened the series with what matters this year. My master matters, my teammates matter, and my mission matters. It's we over me. In essence, it's community, how you belong. And then in week two, Pastor Hannah taught on relationships, how you grow. We are one body, we are made for relationships, and we are better together. We're all in this together. And then last weekend, Pastor Justin tackled ministry, how you belong, how you serve, by affirming that your best life is hidden, your best life is hidden in Christ, and that we steer where we stare. Uh, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and that we're not working for approval, but rather from the approval that we already have from our God, because we are created in the image of God. And today, I've got the Great Commission, How You Go. So I've titled this message, His Presence is Your So whether you are just investigating Christianity or you have served God for a long time, this is the principle. His presence is your power. Now many of us might think that the Great Commission means that I'm supposed to do a mission trip to some faraway land um, in order to fulfill Jesus' directive. And you may think, well, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. It's never going to happen, so why even try? And really, honestly, are you even sure that God is asking that of me? I wouldn't know where to go. I don't even know the countries in the world. My point is that not knowing your geography does not disqualify you from participating in the Great Commission. Just because you don't know something doesn't mean you can't fulfill God's call uh, to make disciples of all nations. And the reason I say that is this, in our annual report of 2018, we included this page uh, about our missions impact, internationally, but also regionally and locally. Now our call to minister to the world comes in part from the Bible where it says we are to be witnesses to Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the application for us is this. Our Jerusalem is Brockville, an area where we live, where we work, where we go to school, um, the places we shop and have coffee. Our Judea and Samaria is the outlying region within our province and even to our nation. And so at Sea Road, we supported churches in northern Ontario, Edmonton, and Amherstview, which is an hour west of us. And then the ends of the earth is our international reach, Albania, Nicaragua, Asia, and of course, Ghana. What I want you to know is that the support of international missions can be accomplished by every single believer, even if you don't go personally. You do have a part to play that is not onerous, nor is it outside of your specific calling or your gift mix or your economic standing. So I want us to look for a moment at what Jesus thinks of economic standing. It's in Luke 21 verses 1 to 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus honored the generosity of the poor when he drew a comparison between the percentage of, of what people gave. So in modern currency, it's like she gave 100% of her last $20, whereas others may have given 1% of their $200,000. Obviously, the amounts are substantially different. Her 20 bucks versus their two grand that went into the plate that day. But Jesus wasn't comparing amounts. He was comparing percentages. Percent was the indication of the generosity level. If I love my wife 70% of the time, that is not going to cut it in our relationship, is it? Percent matters. So I am calling you to love God 100% of your lives, and I'm going to leave it to him and the scriptures to inform you of what percent of your wallet that he wants or what percent of your time that he wants for you to serve in any particular ministry, whether it's global or local. The pressure is off on amounts, knowing that he looks at percentages. And God is not harsh. He is a loving God who calls us to partner with him in ministering to our world. So earlier, of course, we watched that video highlighting ministry in Ghana. Everyone doing some percentage can yield an awful lot of great good. And that is a great example of people having influence for international ministry. Your part may be to contribute uh, some money today in our uh, soup and sandwich fundraiser at noon uh, for the Project Reach Out. The Great Commission is a phrase that is descriptive of this scripture from Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So I want us to explore being the church outside of Sunday mornings from this text. Verse 16 tells us that the the disciples went where he told them to go. This is a a key ingredient in fulfilling the Great Commission. It's to go where he tells you. It's as if God says, um, jump. What do we say? How high, right? For the disciples at this point in history, they were told to go to Galilee from Jerusalem. Well, I map quested that. It's about a two and a half hour car drive. Now, obviously they didn't have that mode of transportation in the first century, so they would have walked it, which is 36 hours. If God asked you to walk 36 hours, would you do it? I estimate it would um, have taken them a five-day trip. That's how it translates. You walk, you rest, you sleep, you walk again. But when you are in love with Jesus, you are going to do whatever it is that He asks of you. I recall when uh, I would graduated Bible college, Um, I I was in Peterborough, that was my hometown, that's where the school was, and I was candidating in several different places like Richmond Hill and, and Smith Falls, and all those places were about three, four hours away from Peterborough, which was upsetting to my mother, who thought, with all the churches around the Peterborough area, why couldn't I find a church in Peterborough? After all, she had two beautiful little grandkids that she wanted to love on, and so, you know, these other places, why am I even looking at them? Well, they were taking their time getting back to me, and Julie and I were pressing in to what God wanted uh, for us, and he made us willing to go to Hungary to teach English. And we began to explore that option, thinking maybe he's asking us to go overseas. Well, all of a sudden, Richmond Hill and Smith Falls seemed real nice places uh, for us to minister. Uh, Why do I tell you that story? God made us willing to go. When you're in love with Jesus, you are willing to go wherever he wants you. And just because he makes you willing does not necessarily mean he's going to call you there. He made us willing to go, and then he opened up the door for Smith Falls, which was wonderful. We became willing because we are in love with Jesus and we will do whatever he asks. Now, for the disciples, it meant traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee, even though Jesus could have miraculously appeared to them again in Jerusalem as readily as Galilee. It was post-resurrection, but before the ascension. He appeared, he walked through doors. Why send them off to Galilee? Well, Matthew Henry... He was a Bible commentator in the late 1600s, and he said it this way. They went into Galilee, a long journey to go for one sight of Christ, but it was worthwhile. They had seen him several times at Jerusalem, and yet they went into Galilee to see him there. Number one, because he had appointed them to do so. Though it seemed a needless thing to go into Galilee to see him whom they might see at Jerusalem, especially when they must so soon come back again to Jerusalem before his ascension, yet they had learned to obey Christ's command and not object against them. And number two, because that was to be a public and general meeting. They had seen him themselves and conversed with him in private. But that should not excuse their attendance in a solemn assembly where many were to be g- gathered together to see him. Now, it is a bit awkward how the language has changed over the centuries and the phraseology. However, Matthew Henry's application in the 1600s is just as relevant today as it was back then. Basically, if Jesus says go, we go. And number two, uh, we have private time with Jesus, he appears to us, he ministers with us, and we have public time with Jesus. Those were the applications he got from that verse. Being the church outside of Sunday mornings means that our obedience to Christ is evident in our private lives when we meet with him privately, and in our public lives. It's seven days a week. Whether we are assembled in some type of religious service, or we're at work, or we're at school, or wherever we are, our obedience is far-reaching, just like it was for the disciples. So again, whether you're investigating Christianity or you are a long-term believer, obedience to Jesus is characteristic of the Christian life. Let's move on to the next verse, 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Living beyond the 52 means that we worship him every day. Again, I'm gonna borrow from the words of Matthew Henry. They gave divine honor to him, which was signified by some outward expressions Of adoration. Being the church drives us to worship, and that in turn, in turn, that prepares us for the Great Commission. It is easy to go when you've met with the King. Matthew Henry continues, but some doubt it. Even among those that worship, there are some that doubt. The faith of those that are sincere may yet be very weak and wavering. They doubted. Edestasen. They hung in suspense. In my words, it's it's really, is this really the resurrected Jesus that we're seeing, that we're encountering, now that we're back in Galilee? These doubts were afterward removed, and their faith grew up to a full assurance, and It tended much to the honor of Christ that the disciples doubted and then believed. So that they cannot be said to be credulous and willing to be imposed upon. Basically, that means the disciples were not weak-willed, nor were they weak-minded. Having questions, having doubts is not sin. For they first questioned, And they proved all things, and then they held fast to that which was true. Belief in the resurrected Christ is not a fable. As you press in and uncover it, Christianity is not a crutch. It is not an alternate system of beliefs among a huge buffet of belief systems. The CEO of Christianity is not just some good teacher or fine leader, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And this is another essential that will drive us in the Great Commission. Knowing who Jesus is for the rest of the world, it compels us to share the stuff that we know, and the beautiful part is that we don't have to rely on ourselves, we don't have to be an encyclopedia of knowledge, we get the power from God himself. He told us that in verse 18, then Jesus came to them and he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, your pastors, we were at a conference this past week, and in passing, the preacher there said this, go, therefore go and make disciples. Isn't a just, okay, now that you're saved, go over there and make disciples. It's as you're going. While you're going along the way, go, whatever you're doing make disciples. And it's as though Jesus is saying this, well, I got the power, so you go, therefore go. I'm the boss, so just go do it. We're on the same side. I've got your back. Whatever phrase that you can think of that communicates that God is with you to impact your environment. Your word. When I thought of this point, I thought of this old song by the Gaither vocal band in the 80s, um, Majority. Who remembers that song, Majority, with the line, God and I make a majority? I'm the only one. (laughs) I'm going to sing it to you anyhow. (laughs) It's, I got power that you can't see. God is living inside of me. I can fight any enemy, because God and I make a majority. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> I, now, do you remember? Is it just sweet? Oh, yeah, right, guys. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, it's in my parents' albums, you know. <laughs> um, when Jesus says, I've got all authority, therefore you go. What are we going to do? We're going to go. But what are we going to? This is the question. What is the principal intention of this commission? And here is the answer. To disciple all nations. Matha 2 said, admit them disciples. Do your utmost to make the nations Christian nations. Not go to the nations and denounce the judgments of God against them, but go and disciple them. Again, I've borrowed from Matthew Henry. Do your utmost to disciple, and do it positively, not negatively. We do not preach against the lost. We preach for the lost. Can you risk an amen? Amen. Thank you. The gospel is good news. So what might be holding us back? What holds me back? Like, like I'm preaching this to myself. Sometimes laziness, complacency, fear, that's a biggie, selfishness. Whatever sin is preventing us from following his directive, Thank God it can be annihilated by His power and our obedience. Do not listen to the lies of the enemy saying that you're not qualified to make disciples because verse 20, thank God, helps us with the simplicity of it all. Let's look at it. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. It's already all in there. We just have to repeat what Jesus commanded. Uh, I don't know if you know that saying: the only way to be a, a, to have a friend is to be one. Have you ever heard that? I wonder if that's loosely based upon the scripture that I learned many years ago in the New King James Version, where it said, "A man who has friends must himself be friendly." And so I wonder if that principle is true for making disciples. You want a friend? Well, be a friend. You want to make a disciple, well, be a disciple. If part of fulfilling the Great Commission is to make disciples by teaching them to just obey the stuff that Jesus commanded, that's already all in there, doesn't that take some of the mystery out of it? Oh, well, I can do that. I know I'm loved by Jesus, I can share that. I know I've been forgiven of my sins, I can share that. I know he forgave me, he can can forgive you. I've done some things right, I I can share that. I've done some things wrong, I can share that too, right? Just repeat what Jesus has commanded. And if you need help with that, well, welcome to humanity. Glad you're here. Get in a group, and start repeating what Jesus said. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. Sign up for a group. It is one way to help you fulfill the Great Commission. Now, the rest of verse 20 is exceedingly important, where Jesus said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. They shall have His constant presence, always. Pasas tas hemeras. All days, every day. I will be with you on Sabbath days and weekdays, fair days and foul days, winter days and summer days. Sometimes I do love the way that writers from the past say things. I find it quite poetic. We shall have his constant presence. That's our point. His presence is your power. And may that fact erase any doubt that you have um, that you can do what He calls you to do, because He is with us always. Amen? I'm going to ask our team to come up as I share my final point. I think that it's important that we follow all of the steps outlined in the Great Commission. So number one, go where Jesus tells you to go, wherever it is. It might be the pizza shop. It might be just to sit on a certain bench in the mall waiting for someone to come by. If you get an inkling, obey the inkling. Be the church outside of Sunday mornings. And number two, worship him. Worship him every day, including today. We're getting prepared for that because we have the unique opportunity to worship corporately. It's our going to Galilee. We get to worship privately, but we've got to worship publicly and corporately. Number three, rest in the knowledge that He has all authority. He is the boss every day, all days. Number four, therefore, go and do it as you're going. Whenever he prompts you, whatever you're sensing. Number five, repeat what he commanded. Just repeat. If you need to learn it, and we all do, get in a group to get help learning what to repeat. And number six, be assured of his abiding presence every day. He is with us. He wants us to succeed in the mission that he's called us to every day.